Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Sometimes you get a little too used to that. I'm... I always wait for that to be my cue. Everything's all about cues. Good afternoon, or uh, I, still, I guess it's still morning. Good morning, Upstate. The GR Plumbing Talk Line is one eight hundred three four seven one zero six three. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is seven one three zero seven. Trying to get these levels right because I changed a few things. Am I good, Tim? Yeah, Rachel. Okay. All right. So anyway. Anyway. Good morning. You know, back in the day, Democrats reacted to the Supreme Court's Brown v. Board of Education decision, which required that they respect all American civil liberties with fury and a petulant campaign of massive resistance. And what is old is new again. The Democrat Party is back in form, furious that the Supreme Court is not going to let them steal our rights, and this time they're coming after gun rights. Their latest iteration has been about the pistol brace thing. And for those of you who don't know what the pistol brace thing, there's there's two configurations for semi-automatic rifles, and that is the pistol configuration and the rifle configuration. This is based purely upon an arbitrary length of a barrel, of the barrel of the gun. A rifle <coughs> has to be a total of 16, no less than 16 inches. Now, with a pistol brace on it, it could be less than 16 inches. Or if you go the, the uh, registration route and join the NFA, the National Firearms Act registry, you can have something called an SBR, a short-barreled rifle. And now they've thrown now uh, they've, they've put out a new thing, and I have, I have one of those sitting right downstairs, and I have X amount of time to comply with them, or I'm a felon! <laughs> Now, the Bruin decision made it clear that the anti-liberty states and the federal government cannot deny your right to keep a bare arms on a whim. And the leftists have gone into overdrive to try to undermine this. And coming from a publishing house called Regnery, there's an extremely useful book coming out in defense of the Second Amendment by gun guru Larry Correa. And if you want to detail the background and the basis for this most vital of all rights, get it. Because you don't have any rights if you cannot enforce them with a rifle. You want to look at Britain and then weep. (laughs) Because they disarmed because guns are uncivilized and uncouth. And, well, you can't have your gray poupon with a rifle now, can you? And now they get arrested for mean tweets. A disarmed people is a population of serfs. The leftists whine that patriots think a gun makes you a man. (laughs) It does. Because as a man, your duty is to protect your own and destroy those who threaten you, and that does, in fact, take weapons. Mr. Korea knows the score. He does a very brutal takedown of the now-retired Chardonnay Shannon Watts, the mom's demand figurehead, who tried to mobilize bored, unfulfilled housewives to disarm their husbands. And if men are what the moms demanded... Good luck to you guys. Any man who would ditch his ability to protect his wife and his kids because of the neurotic harpy he married wants to prove 
wants him to prove his love by emasculating himself deserves the contempt that the rest of us hold him in. Assuming him is his pronoun. Bruin should have been the last word. But, you know, knowing our president, knowing these various states that are out there today, and I'm not going to refer to them as blue states anymore either, because when I was in the military, the friendly forces, NATO were the, was the blue force. And the communists were the red force, you know, the red Chinese, the, the red Russians. They were the reds. So uh, now the left, they're just the anti-liberty guys. They whine a really good game about our democracy and norms, but the rules only apply to us. Never them which is in, in, in of itself another reason to stay armed. Now, given everything that we're seeing coming out of these various states, there is one very small problem for me when it comes to that. It's mostly all the same states that are wanting to do this. Federally, right now, we are in pretty good, pretty good, uh, <laughs> I'm being told, I'm being told on the text line that I didn't play the El Presidente clip. Well, El Presidente is not there right now, I don't think. Although I did actually just talk to him. Most of the same states are going to try to continually double down. And I mean, you see what happened, like in, in New York, right now, New York is leading, leading the charge on uh, banning gas stoves, and they think they can do that. They think that they can make the populace of New York State, because after all, they're disarmed for the most part, even with the Bruin decision, which the Bruin decision actually was aimed and targeted at New York State. The one that changed everything, and it did, it changed everything. Even with that not being there, they, they, they believe that they can do whatever they want to the populace of New York, and they're going to try it. They do it already. Oregon, Orifornia. There was a moment with them, with Measure 114, where there, there was going to be, if they had actually tried to implement it the way it sits right now, with none of the stuff in place to actually do it, uh, that they weren't going to be able to sell guns. Nobody's going to be able to buy guns because they had this, uh, you know, this thing in place where you had to go through a, a, per, a, a permit to purchase, I guess it is. But you had to have a gun first to purchase it, and they didn't have any of this stuff in place. So understand this about all of these things they're trying to do. First of all, they will be litigated beyond belief. Beyond belief. Second of all, they will lose. Because we're seeing this coming out of the Supreme Court, they are moving really rapidly on these cases. Right now, in, for example, in New York, they have the Antonyuk case, which they threw back to the Second Circuit to try to get them to do the right thing. Now, Antonyuk... will not be, the, the, the Second Circuit's not going to do the right thing at all. They're going to do exactly whatever it is they think they can do and get away with until they can't 
you know, until the Supreme Court tells them what to do. Then they're going to pull back and, you know, try to regroup. I don't know how that good how that will work. And uh, come up, come at us with the next thing. But they're they're running out of things to actually do, which is very interesting to me at the moment, just because. Well, that always that always t- that always tickles me when they finally run out of things to do, and then they start. Uh, and I will illustrate a couple of ways they are starting to consume themselves right now. It's sort of funny. Their shenanigans. The Bruin decision should have been the last thing. That should have been the, the last word. And I'm getting, okay, I don't know who who we're talking to there. All right. When we get back, we will continue on with this rant just because I enjoy it. I think what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Alec Baldwin. You're listening to 106.3 WORD. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right. All right, Upstate, welcome back. The Ingles, uh, shut up. The GR Plumbing talk line is 1-800-347-1063. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Because of a, a, a radio thing that's happening right now, I'm not sure who's actually talking to me on the text line. So if you send me something, maybe just say, Bill... And just let me know you're talking to me because uh, there, I, I, there's a, like a simulcast kind of thing happening right now. And, uh, well, just so you know. And if, if it seems like I'm not answering you, it's because I don't know who you're talking to. The, the hallmark of a leftist is they always blame something else besides themselves for something they do. Whether they're a politician or an actor. In this case, we're talking about Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, okay, let me give you a little background. In 1993, when they were filming The Crow, Brandon Lee, the only son of the late Bruce Lee, was filming it, and, uh, well, he was shot and killed because a dummy round became lodged in the barrel of a revolver, and they put a blank charge behind it, and when they pulled the trigger on the gun to get the shot, that shot the dummy round out with enough velocity to to kill him. Since then, they have adopted a bunch of measures and ways and techniques to, I mean, first of all, you're rarely ever going to see 
the shooter and the person being shot in the same frame. They separate those now. Now that you know, the shooter is a one shot. The guy reacting to the shot is another shot, or they do it with angles the same way they do a hand to hand confrontation. It's all based on angles. So, the the rule of thumb when filmmaking is if there's guns involved, you're not actually pointing a gun at anybody ever. Let's go to Rust, the the, the, uh, set for Rust in New Mexico. They went to New Mexico because it is cheaper to to make a film in in other places besides Hollywood. But they also get away from having to deal with the the unions because the unions are the ones that set all these rules and regulations for safety. So Alec Baldwin, one of the producers of Rust, they decided to film it in New Mexico. Alec Baldwin has been... uh, well, he's, he's being charged. He's going to be charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter along with the armorer of that uh, particular film, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. And additionally, Santa Fe First Judicial District Attorney Mary Carmack Altwies uh, and Special Car- uh, Prosecutor Andre Reeb announced that the Rust First Assistant Director David Halls has already pled guilty to charges of negligent use of a deadly weapon. Now... Once again, let me go back and give you a little background. They were using real guns on this set. Typically, with a semi-automatic firearm, if you have to show it going off with blanks, you have an enclosed barrel to where it has some pressure to blow it back. With a revolver, you can just use blanks to make it look like it's functioning. But you always want to have a prop gun. And, and there's numerous prop companies that sell guns of these. I mean, and when they, most of the time, they're, they're, they're the entire, like with the John Wick films, that's all done by extreme props. I know, I know the guy that owns it, and I know the guy that builds the real guns and the prop guns for John Wick. And it's the, the chain of custody of these guns when they're going from the armorer to the actor is impressive. They didn't have that. They, As a matter of fact, in the off hours when they weren't actually shooting the film, they would take the guns that they were using in the movie and target practice with them. And on this particular day, this gun was loaded with live ammunition. So Baldwin, they're rehearsing a scene. And this is a, this is a cowboy gun. It's a single-action revolver. You have to pull the trigger back excuse me, the hammer back, and then you have to pull the trigger. It will not go off with any of the hammer back positions unless you pull the trigger. With the hammer down, if you hit the hammer with something like a hammer, a real hammer, um, it will go off because that's the way the guns were designed at the time. Baldwin maintains that he didn't pull the trigger. And he didn't check it. And he says it was the it was the job of Gutierrez and then uh, the, the the other producer to check that before they handed it to him. But then, of course, he did pull back the hammer and point it at Helena Hutchison. I'll get to that in just a minute. 
I'll get to. The, I, I'm being asked about the uh, ATF uh, rule here on the on the text line. I'll talk about that in just a second. So they're calling this a travesty of justice. <laughs> now Baldwin and the Rust producers had to settle with the Hutchins family in a in a wrongful death suit, and uh, they're going to be charged with two charges of involuntary manslaughter. One of the counts is for, um, it will prove that there's underlying negligence. That's a fourth degree felony. It carries a sentence up to 18 months in jail and a $5,000 fine. The second charge is a manslaughter in the commission of a lawful act, a more severe charge. And it, that requires proof that there was more than sick, simple negligence involved in a death. And that includes a firearm enhancement, which adds a mandatory penalty of five years in jail. And they will be charged under a standard called charged in the alternative. And if the case ends up going to trial, a jury will determine which of the two. They're not going to be guilty of both. Let's put it this way. They'll be guilty of one versus the other. I'm being asked in the chat room, what if somebody put a live round in the uh, in the gun thinking it would blow up in his hand? Um, they would have to take that round and they would have to really juice that up. with a. They'd have to reload it. They would have to uh, pull the bullet out, put a double or a triple charge of powder in it for it to actually blow up. Plus, revolvers are very robust, especially the old cowboy gun. So it, it's a, the, the postulation here is... Uh, because a lot of people don't like him, they were maybe were trying to injure him. No, that was just because nobody checked the gun. Nobody, cowboy guns do not have a cylinder that pops out there where you can just look at all six of the chambers at one time. And um, cowboy guns have what is referred to as a loading gate. You pop that open, you have to rotate the cylinder to look at to observe each chamber. And unless you know it, you you have to actually unload it. If you're going to use it with dummy rounds to make sure everything you got in there is dummy rounds. And they didn't do that. And then old Alec Baldwin, they hand him the gun and he pulls back the hammer. They're just setting up a shot, trying to set up and see where the camera needs to be and everything else. And Helena Hutchison has her, uh, her, her viewer, which is a, basically a lens with a handle on it. And he's saying he didn't do it. I don't expect him to go to jail, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what we get out of this. We'll see what happens with Alec. When we get back, we're going to talk about Eric Swellhead. I'm Eric Swalwell. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're listening to 106.3 WORD. Didn't recognize that for a minute. The GR Plumbing Talk Line is 
347-1063. The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. To the dude that sent me the fang fang one that's not safe for radio, listen. When you send me these texts, you got to understand, I'm drinking coffee and I just spit coffee all over my entire setup. You can't be doing that to me. <laughs> and we're going to try to do something uh, fun here. We're going to see. I, I got three little micro topics I want to hit on. Can I do it? Do you want to hear it? Show of hands. All right. The eyes have it. First of all, we're going to start out with the gas-passing commie spy-digging Representative Eric Swalwell. And he's really, really angry because he got booted off the House Intelligence Committee, which should not be surprising since he has been credibly accused of having sex with a hard-five Chi-Com spy. He's now claiming he's getting death threats. <laughs> Welcome to the party, Tudor. Welcome to my world. And speaking of de deadly natural gas leakages, the Democrats have suddenly discovered that your stove was out to murder you, and therefore gas stoves must be confiscated. That's a nice change from them wishing that we were dead, I guess, but what is this bizarre fixation on trying to make our lives worse? And for my third micro-topic, we're going to talk about Rona McDaniel, the, the uh, whatever she is, the loser in charge of the Republican Party. So off we go. Now, poor Eric is as unhappy as a guy trapped in a butte, as the butte with him on a hot day after hitting the Taco Bell drive-thru. He cannot be on the intelligence committee anymore. His humiliation and bellyaching bode well for the tenure of Kevin McCarthy because Kevin put on his Doc Martens and then applied them to the Californian's flatulent fanny. Kevin McCarthy kept his word and kicked him off the committee. And that's awesome. It would be easy to back away from the promise as predecessors made that a habit, but the new speaker endured the fussy flack of the regime media and held his ground. And that's excellent. I had doubts about him. I'm still not fully convinced, but it's starting out nice. We need to reward proper behavior. And making Eric Swalwell sad while protecting our secrets is proper behavior. And he's now claiming that he's getting death threats. He even posted some. And they're amateur. I get harsher ones when I point out how dumb people who think there are more than two genders are. And don't get me started on the hate I've gotten over the years when I mock the bronies and other perverted weirdos. And especially when there's a rampage killing and I'm the one who I'm the one who caused it. But he who dealt it is accusing Kevin McCarthy of wanting his kids dead. And Eric did get the guy who allegedly made the comment fired, but if Swalwell was a man concerned with his family, number one, we would not be making fang-fang jokes because there would have been no fang-fang-bang-bang. And number two, he, owned, he would own what he calls an assault rifle to protect his kin. You know, the very weapons that he wanted to nuke you for owning. But he's not done these things. He thinks that if he cries hard enough about the same stuff his friends pull on us every day, we'll stop talking and defending our interests, but we won't. And if nasty people are nasty to him, too bad. Not our fault. Not our problem. It is entirely, well, it is not entirely correct to say that I don't care if people threaten him. Although it does make me giggle. It is more that I care exactly about what mean people do to him as much as he cares about what his commie pals do to me. So lock and load, Air Biscuit. Time to man up and rack it if you're really scared. But if you aren't, you're just acting and unconvincingly, much like Fang Fang. And, but it is good to see the Republicans in Congress keep their word and deal the pain. Because only pain 
might teach them not to mess with us by breaking norms by letting a party choose its own committee members. It's, you know, it's a, it's a small step in the right direction. But even if they don't learn, we hurt them. And it's important to show the base that we're going to hit back, even if it only makes Eric Swalwell cry. And next up is skeevy Congressman Adam Schiff and the socialist sister wife, Ilhan Omar. Now, because they hate fossil fuel, as I segue without actually making a segue comment, um, we're going to apply the same thing we do to uh, guns, because guns bad, and fossil fuel bad. So, stove's got to go. It's weird how one day we were literally cooking with gas, and the next day not only were gas stoves declared to be deadly, which was largely based on the super-duper scientific findings of people paid by other people who hate gas stoves, but we needed to ban them right now. And best of all, all the regime pedia were all, duh, everybody knows your gas stove's going to kill you. Why do you hate science so much? Of course, you know, and, and there's, we, we have all this evidence. There's these dozens of healthy young people keeling over left and right from natural gas exposure. I'm sure all these mystery deaths are no doubt the fault of the product people that you know, used for centuries and not some, I don't know, untested vaccine. And this fake furor was met by dozens of pictures of prominent leftists cooking on gas stoves. And the mockery was intense. And people expressed their dismay at having to pay thousands of dollars to redo their kitchen to cater to the paranoid fantasies of the Chardonnay-sodden morons who just got back from Davos on their jets. You know, the people that have, they don't want you to live in a house. They have multiple, multiple Mansions that most of the time, most of them just sit empty because it can't be in all of them at one time. Right now, the people have pushed back and the idea has gone back underwater a little bit, but it will rise again, just like gun control. And the short-term impetus for this idiocy is the climate change hoax. Gas is bad because reasons and science, and shut up about it, not actually getting hotter, you science denier. But it actually goes further. There's this overwhelming urge among predominantly rich leftist people to make our lives worse in every possible way. Like the COVID crisis. They're very disappointed that you can leave your house now. That you don't have to wear the submission symbol across your face. I can see your lips now. You know, They want you eating bugs. They want your pickup truck banned and pretty much everything you like forbidden. Why? Well, because they get off telling other people what to do. That makes them bad people in my book, and we must crush them. Time to make the Republican Party the party of no more petty nonsense. And finally, Rona McDaniel. I'm a pretty decent, I'm pretty decent analytically, and what I saw was a red tsunami coming in, except... It wasn't in the ocean. This was within a, within a surfing park. And they put Ron McDaniel in charge of the waves that day. She is a three-term Republican National Committee chairwoman. She has never once had a successful federal election cycle under her watch. So because she is a failure three times over, she, des she, she is absolutely convinced she deserves a fourth chance to fail. And uh, no thank you, Rona, no thank you at all. The coup is underway, and the whip count of the 168 RNC committee members who will do the voting on January 27th, showing you don't have the votes, Rona. A month ago, she had it locked up, but people like you reached out to their state committee members and demanded change. And there is a website you can go to if you want to chime in on this. It's actually... <laughs> 
It's pretty funny. www.hireharmeat.com. So those are just three things I see out there that, uh, the, the, especially the, the whole climate change. That, that is the biggest load. Does the climate change? Yeah. All the time. It always has. It's going to change some more. We may not be the apex species to ever inhabit this planet. But we have succeeded where others have not. And, uh, you know, well, well, you know, keep, keep, you can eat the bugs. We don't want the bugs. When we get back, when you take a forensic look at the COVID mess, it's a little frightening. You're listening to 1063 WORD. All right, the GR Plumbing Talk Line, 1-800-347-1063. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. You know, um, I'm going to tell you a story. This is sort of a, this is a third-hand story. It's a true story. And we're going to change some names, and we're going to talk about a guy named Dave. Dave was uh, in his 50s, pretty good shape. Um, he had no comorbidities, and he did not get the COVID shot. But then, in December 2021, he got COVID. And Christmas was just around the corner, and he figured he would just ride out the virus at home. But then he only, oh, I'm sorry, GS plumbing, not GR plumbing, my bad. Um, he figured he could ride out the virus at home. But he, he only got worse, and he ended up with symptoms so severe that his wife, that was she was fearful for his health, she decided he had to go to the hospital after Christmas. So he went with his lungs failing. He was put on a ventilator. The problem is when the machine takes over lung function, I mean, this has happened to me before, um, your lungs atrophy to a point where without a major medical intervention, he was going to be in big trouble. And they recommended extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. This is a procedure that temporarily removes all the blood from your body oxygenates it, removes the carbon dioxide. Then it pumps the blood back through the body. But there was one caveat. To get the procedure, both he and his wife would have to get COVID shots. No exceptions with this hospital. And with, with what they were learning about vaccine injuries and the low efficacy of the shots and boosters, they felt the risk far outweighed the benefits. Besides, he already had COVID. Right? So he had the natural immunity, but the hospital wouldn't budge. No shot, no procedure. And with his life in their hands, this quickly morphed into a nightmare. And the couple didn't budge either at first. Because time was running out. They searched for the rare hospital that had an expensive ECMO machine that would perform the procedure without forcing them to get a shot. And the best they could do was find one that only required him, not her, to get it. So after months of avoiding it, Dave reluctantly, grudgingly, frustratingly agreed to take the shot. And that's when he jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire. 
As his wife described, his skin boiled off of his body. He had to be mummied in gauze like a burn victim. And aside from now being disfigured for life, his pain was unbearably excruciating, like the feeling of being lit on fire and burning alive. The doctors admitted that the shot caused the reaction. So they, so in, you know, in order to make it better, they asked his wife to consent to the second shot to be fully vaccinated so they could get to the procedure that could save his life. How would you like to be his wife? She's got a bunch of lightning bolts of life-altering emotional torture hitting her. This is her husband. To save his life, she picked what she felt was the best of horrible choices and consented. And sadly, over time, it, it didn't really matter. The ECMO machine didn't work. Dave now needed a lung transplant. After being transferred an hour or so to the L.A. County Health System, the belly of the beast of medieval-like COVID protocol, Dave, now mostly alone, quickly lost the will to live. His wife got the dreaded call around 2 a.m. on May 28th, five months to the day after he entered the first of three hospitals that he was dying. And she made that surreal trip to L.A., fought for nearly an hour once she got there to get through a labyrinth of prison-like COVID procedures and finally made it to her husband's bedside where he was screaming in pain. She pleaded with the doctors to do something about this, and a nurse said, we're not allowed to medically assist patients at this point. And that's how Dave left the world in 2022. Screaming in pain inside a bleak L.A. County hospital, completely muted to the world with his traumatized wife watching, consoling, and struggling with what was a very torturous goodbye. The person who related this story said, These are the people who let this happen to my friend's husband, are the same ones who talk endlessly about compassion and who ride around with be kind bumper stickers on their cars. Dave died for no reason, though, because you had a bunch of really credentialed doctors out there screaming about what ivermectin would do to prevent this from happening. Dave is one of these people that was, you know, he was killed by COVID. Very rare, duck, you know. Uh, it only happens to less than 1% of us. He was one of them. If he had been, if he'd been able to take ivermectin, maybe it would have been different. Dr. Pierre Corey put some testimony out there. He said, we have a solution to this crisis in early outpatient treatment. We have three randomized controlled trials, multiple observations, as well as case series that show if you take ivermectin, the need for hospitalization and death will decrease. It is critical to this disease. We have 100,000 patients in the hospital right now dying. I'm a lung specialist. I'm an ICU specialist. I've cared for more dying COVID patients than anyone can imagine. And they're dying because they can't breathe. They can't breathe. They're on high flow oxygen delivery devices. They're on non-evasive ventilators and, or they're sedated, paralyzed and attached to mechanical ventilators that breathe for them. And I watch them every day and I watch them die every day. And by the time they get to me in the ICU, they're already dying and almost impossible to recover. This is the way we have handled this. There's something dark going on there. 
Well, we got another hour in front of us, so let's make that spin around and uh, listen. You're listening to 106.3 WORD. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.